between series. And so uh, before I left to go to Barcelona, I finished Nehemiah. Uh, next Sunday, we're going to be, begin a series entitled Welcome, looking at the biblical concept of hospitality. We'll spend four weeks in that all throughout the month of August, and then we'll move into our fall uh, series. But uh, this morning, I just wanted to take a few minutes before we observe the Lord's Supper and speak to the subject of simply believing God. And so this morning, we're going to talk about what does it mean to believe. And what I want to do, this is not like a, a message where I'm going to have points for you to write down. I'm going to have a couple thoughts that I'm going to share with you, maybe some, some inspirational type of thoughts. But really, what I want to do is I want to take about 15 minutes, and I want to walk us through a few different bu- biblical passages of where God did something extraordinary on behalf of his people where God did miraculous. And, and what we're going to see in these passages is the fact that the, the people in the stories couldn't do anything, but God could do everything. And so we're going to see God step into situation after situation after situation and do the impossible. And the only thing he asks of us is simply to believe and to trust him. Because when we think about the Christian life, this life that we're to live as a follower of Jesus, we think about it, the Christian life is not difficult. And yet at the same time, the Christian life is impossible. You say, those are two competing ideas. Those are uh, diametrically opposed to one another. Yes, they are. And at the same time, they run parallel on the same track. The Christian life is not difficult, but it's impossible. What do you mean by that? Well, uh, this past week, as we were there in the city of Barcelona... We were there to spread the gospel message. We were there to invite people to believe that message. It's a message that uh, is impossible to do on your own. It's impossible to have salvation on your own. And yet at the same time, the gospel message, Jesus said, is so simple that the child can believe and come to faith in Jesus. So simple, and yet it's so profound. And so the Christian life is much the same. It's so difficult, and it's not difficult, and yet at the same time, it's impossible. So here's a statement I want to whet your appetite with this morning. Victory and power come for the believer through belief and trust in God in His Word. If you want to have victory, if you want to experience power, the, the power of God in your life, that's not a difficult thing. It comes by simply believing God in what He has said. Do we really as Christians believe God and what He has said? I, I think there are times in our Christian life, yes, we believe Him. There are other times in our Christian life, we don't believe Him. And it's exemplified by how little power we have in our life, how little victory we have in our life. We, we still are dealing with those same old sins that we've been dealing with. We still struggle to believe Him in our finances and with our future and with our families. We're still holding on so tight to certain areas of our life. It's indicative of the fact there's no victory, there's no power there present in our life because we don't believe God and trust His Word. The very beginning of time, The Bible teaches us that God created Adam and Eve, and there in the Garden of Eden, as He created this beautiful world and put man at the center of this world and and instructed Adam to tend to the garden, to to exercise uh, lordship and leadership over everything that was created, God gave them one simple instruction. He told them they were eat from every tree there in the garden, but from one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they were not to eat from. Genesis chapter 2, verses 16 and 17, we see that command. I mean, he says, you can have everything that's here. It's all for your enjoyment. It's all for your goodness. It's all for your pleasure. But don't eat of that tree. For the day that you eat of it, the Bible says, you will surely die. 
read on in that text there in chapter 3, we see that sometime later, those first two human beings were enjoying God. They were enjoying God's creation that he had made and, and, and made them Lord over. He's, they're experiencing all that God would have for them, all the pleasures that he intended for them. Until one day, a serpent came into the garden. And that serpent became and began to engage them in conversation and began to question God. And he made this statement to Eve. Did God actually say? And there at that moment, Eve began to listen and Eve began to question whether or not God could be trusted. And she concluded that God could in fact not be trusted. The Bible tells us that Adam was there close by and, and so she began to wonder about this tree that God had forbidden. And thinking and looking about it, looking at it, seeing that it's good for fruit and good for food and, and it's pleasant to the eyes. And so she took of that fruit, she ate of that fruit and she gave it to Adam. One question the enemy placed into her mind, led to her disobedience. She questioned the goodness and the faithfulness of God. The Bible tells us that immediately both of their eyes were open to the reality that their disbelief in God created for them. Genesis 3-7 tells us that they began to sense their shame. They saw that they were naked and they hid themselves from God. Several hundred years later, the Bible tells us in Genesis chapter 12 that God called to a pagan man whose name was Abram. God called to this man and told him to get up and to leave his country and go to a place that would be shown to him. And God promised to this man Abram that he would make him a great nation through whom the nations would be blessed. But at this time, Abram had no son. He had no heir. Later on, God would change his name to Abraham in order to reflect the promise that he made to this man. That he would, in fact, be the the heir, the one who would bless the nations of the world. The Bible says that Abram believed God in chapter 15, verse 6. And, and that belief in God led to his righteousness. It resulted in him being made right with God. So in other words, Abraham was made righteous before a holy God through his belief and trust in the Lord and the Lord's word. Abraham believed God. See, he believed God when God told him, take this son that I've promised to you, this son that I've given you, this son named Isaac. And Abraham, I want you to take this son, this son of promise, and I want you to take him up on Mount Moriah. And on that mountain, I want you to sacrifice your son. The son that I've told you is going to be heir. The one through whom the nations will be blessed. The one through whom salvation is going to come. Abraham, I want you to take this son Isaac and I want you to take him up on the mountain and I want you to sacrifice him before me as an offering. I want to read for you Genesis chapter 22, just a couple of verses there. And we're going to see in these verses Abraham's faith even when he didn't understand what was happening. Verse 5, Genesis 22, 5. Abraham says to his young men, the servants who have come along with him on this journey, and he says, stay here with a donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. Abraham is not here trying to hide and cover up what he's about to do from his servants. I believe, based upon what Hebrews would tell us, that Abraham in this moment, as he's struggling and wrestling with this idea of going and sacrificing his son on the mountain, he's speaking confidently to his servant saying, I don't know how, I can't explain it, but God's told me to go up on this mountain to offer Isaac, but somehow we're both going to come back to you. 
Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews would tell us that Abraham believed God that he would somehow resurrect his son so that even though he may slay him on the mountain, he would be resurrected and come back with him down off the mountain. Abraham believed God. We know the rest of the story. He goes up there. He goes to sacrifice him. He places the wood on the altar. He places the sun on the wood. He raises the knife. And at that moment, the voice of God calls out, Abraham, put down the knife. And provides a substitute, a ram whose horns are stuck in the thicket next to them. Abraham believed God. We go further in the story of Scripture and we see that Moses believed God. You remember the story of Moses there in the book of Exodus. The Lord finds Moses on the backside of the wilderness. He's been there for 40 years after fleeing Egypt. And, and Moses is, is there tending the sheep. And he sees this burning bush. And through this interchange, this experience with God, God tells Moses to go to Egypt and to demand of the most powerful and most important person on the face of the earth at, time, at that time. He de- is to demand of them to let the Jews go. Can you imagine being in Moses' shoes? I once lived in Pharaoh's house. I fled Pharaoh's house for, for, for fear of my life. I've been gone for 40 years, and I, now I'm being told to go back to Pharaoh, the most powerful man on the face of the earth, and to demand of him that the people of Israel are to be let go. The Bible tells us that Moses believed and obeyed. And God delivered Israel from Egypt, and Moses believed that God would bring them into the promised land. Therefore, when the Pharaoh charged against them there at the edge of the Red Sea, after they had left the nation of Egypt and plundered them on their exit, Pharaoh again musters up what army he has left, and they charge against them with chariots there on the edge of the Red Sea. And Moses believes God. In Exodus chapter 14, we see some beautiful words from the mouth of Moses. As the people are beginning to squirm out of fear, Moses says to the people in verse 13, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You only have to be silent. Can you imagine being in those Jews' shoes as they're standing there on the edge of the sea to their back? The Egyptians are in their front, and they have no place to go. They're absolutely surrounded, outnumbered, and outgunned. And yet Moses says, believe God. You don't have to say a word. You don't have to struggle. You don't have to squirm. You don't have to do anything but stand firm and stay silent and just believe God. And the rest of the story is that Moses told the people, follow me across this Red Sea. It parts for them. Dry ground is before them. They walk across the sea, and Pharaoh and his army plunge into that, thinking they can overtake them. And all of a sudden, as the Jews get to the other side, the waters come back upon them. And everything that Moses believed God for came to fruition. They never saw them again because God won the victory. God that day delivered the Israelites from the hand of the Egyptians. Another passage and another story I want to bring before us this morning is one that we just read a few weeks ago. If you're reading chronologically with us through the Bible, King Hezekiah in 2 Kings 19, we see that King Hezekiah believed God. The Assyrians had gathered their troops to attack and to conquer Judah. We need to know that in this story, the Assyrians have already defeated many other nations. They've even already defeated their brothers, the Israelites, the northern ten tribes. 
So they gather outside of the walls of Jerusalem and begin to taunt and to, and to try to cast fear into the hearts and minds of those who lived in Jerusalem. They mocked. They threatened. The king took this threat against his people, took it to God. He prayed. Chapter 19, verse 15 tells us he goes before the Lord and he contends with the Lord and he asks the Lord to step in on their behalf and to be their, def- their defender. God responded to to King Hezekiah by saying that the king of Assyria would not enter Jerusalem. And God goes a step further and says he won't even shoot an arrow here. That night, the Bible tells us that an angel came, the angel of the Lord came, and killed 185,000 Assyrians camping outside the walls of Jerusalem. See, earlier that day, the people inside the walls were very fearful. They were scared to death. They knew all the stories of how the Assyrians have conquered all of these other people groups. They're setting outside the walls. It's just a matter of time. They just got to wait them out or they've got to build some siege ramps. It's just a matter of time until Jerusalem falls. But Hezekiah prayed and believed God. And all of a sudden, in one night, 185,000 Assyrians are defeated and killed. The king himself went back to his own city, the city of Nineveh. And the chapter ends by telling us that the king was killed by his own sons. Hezekiah believed God. Today in our church, there are people who are struggling with things and you don't know what to do with it. You don't know how it's going to happen. You don't know how you're going to pay the rest of this month's bills because this month's income's already come. You don't know what you're going to do with your family member because you're just out of ideas. You've tried everything and everything has failed. And so you don't know what step to take next. There are things going on in the life of our church. There's ministry things and decisions that need to be made. And and you wonder, how is this going to happen? Even as we as a church step out on faith this fall, as we this next Sunday will unveil what we're going to propose to you as a renovation project, as we're going to build an administration building and redo this space right here for the future. And you think, how in the world could we ever do this? We're a small rural church in Powhatan. We're just blue-collar people. We don't have CEOs by the, by, the, by the dozens in the life of our church. How will we ever do this? We're going to do it like every other Christian's done it throughout the ages. We're going to hear from God and believe God and trust God with the, with the details. Are we planning? Are we doing our preparations? Absolutely. All of these stories, all of these men and women of God who believed Him, they had details and plans and they heard from the Lord. They carried out all that He said. But when it came down to it, it wasn't on their shoulders to get it done. Like Hezekiah, he got on his face and he prayed and God stepped in and did it. We must be a people who believe God as a church. We must be a people who in our families and in our homes as men, we lead and believe God. As a single mom, you must believe God for your family. You must believe God for your kids' future. We serve the God of the impossible. We serve the God who can do absolutely anything. Nothing is too difficult for Him. Nothing is too big and nothing is too small 
for his notice. Sometimes I believe that when we, we, in our lives we think, this is too small of a thing for the Lord. Why would I trouble him with this minute detail? Well, the reason that you won't take it to him is because you think that you can handle it. And that in and, in and of itself is pride, which will destroy everything. So we need to give God the big things, and we need to give God the small things, and we need to give God everything in between in our lives because he's a God who loves us and cares for us and wants to do great things for us. So let's believe him. The Bible tells us he's the Alpha and the Omega. He's the beginning and the end. He is before all things, and in him all things are held together. And so this morning, a couple questions. Do you believe the Lord? Do you believe the Lord? Do you believe God? Do you believe his word that he's spoken? Do you believe what he said about you, what he desires to do in you, what he desires to do through you? Sometimes what happens in the life of the church is God calls us, obviously all of us, to missions, all of us to ministry. You're called to ministry and missions right where you live in your neighborhood, right where you work at your job, right where you go to school each and every day for our kids. Sometimes we look at that and we say, that's not for me, I can't do that. The reason you can't do that is because you just simply don't believe God. Or you don't want to believe God for that because in your selfishness, you don't want that to be a part of your life. And so believing God is not so much just these big things. It's everyday living, every day of our life, trusting Him and walking with Him in every detail of life. You think about all these miracles in the Bible, and I just picked out about four or five of them. Literally every page of the Bible is a miracle. Every story of the Bible is a miracle of where God steps in in impossible situations and, and is the victor. God is the hero of the Bible. Jesus is the hero of the story of Scripture. And so we could go all throughout the Scriptures and we could see story after story and miracle after miracle. But the greatest miracle of all in all of the Bible is salvation. The greatest miracle that God's ever done on our behalf is the cross. We've sang about it this morning. The greatest miracle is that God himself, God the Son, would die on a cross, bear our sins in his body, shed his blood as an atoning sacrifice, raise from the dead, and declare you and I as sinners righteous. That is the greatest miracle of all. The Bible tells us that that is the purpose for which God the Son was born into this world. He came to take our sin upon himself, to offer himself as a sacrificial substitute there on that cross. Jesus was crucified. He was buried in a tomb, and for three days he lay in that tomb. And we sing about it this morning. On that third day, his body began to breathe. You ever been around a dead body for a few days? No, I'm not talking about a human body. That would be kind of weird. Driving down the road, you know that animal got killed yesterday and you drive down the road and you see it day one, you see it day two, you see it day three. You know what happens to a body when it's been dead. Decay sets in. I want you to know this morning that's what was happening to the body of Jesus Christ. And on that third day, he began to breathe. Why? It's because God the Father began to breathe life back into God the Son and He was resurrected for us. And today that greatest miracle provides for us forgiveness and eternal life to everyone who believes. And see, Romans 9 
10, 9 and 10 tells us that all we have to do is believe. There Paul says, if you will confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. And if you will believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Salvation is easy and yet it's impossible. Salvation is easy for us. All we have to do is believe a very simple message that God loved us so much that he died for our sins. And if we'll place our faith in him, we can be saved. And yet at the same time, it's so impossible, we can't earn it ourselves. We can't do anything to garner it in our own efforts. It only comes through simple faith and trust in Jesus. And so have you believed on God? Have you trusted in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sin? If you're a Christian today, if there's been a moment in your life when you've put your faith in Jesus, do you believe God in your everyday life? Is everything surrendered over to Him? I mean, think about it. Why do we believe God for forgiveness but fail to believe Him in every other area of our lives? Why is it? Why is it that we will trust Him with the most valuable thing that we have, eternity, but we won't trust Him with the little details of our life? Lord, I want, you to, I want you to save me. I want you to give me fire insurance. I want to make sure that, that you got my name in heaven. But every other thing in my life, I'm going to take care of. I don't trust you with those details. I, I, for me, that's backwards. If I'm going to trust him with my eternity, I'm going to trust him with my today. I'm going to trust him with my, fight, my family. I'm going to trust him with my finances. I'm going to trust him with my future. Because I'm trusting him for my eternity. I'm trusting him for the forgiveness of my sins. I'm trusting a holy God who's promised to never lie, to never tell an untruth, to never do anything that will benefit and bless me. I'm trusting a holy, generous, and gracious God. Do you believe him today? You see, the first and the foremost thing that God has required of man is to believe him. The Christian life is pretty simple. God just says, believe me, trust me. That's what he said in the Garden of Eden. That's what he said on the cross, and that's what he says to us today. That's what he asks of us. Believe me. Will you believe me? And obedience, that belief results in obedience. That's what it's all about. I'm to take his word. I believe it. And if I truly believe it, I will obey it. That's why he calls us to simple belief. It's all he's rarely ever asked of us just to trust him. In fact, Jesus left us a beautiful picture of trust here in the Lord's Supper that we're about to observe. See, when he had that last meal with the disciples, he instructed them to continue to eat it. He said, do this in remembrance of me. And every time we partake of this meal, every time we partake of the bread, and every time we partake of the cup, what are we doing? We're remembering the sacrifice of Jesus, that his body was bruised for our iniquities, that his blood was shed for the remission of our sins. In that picture, in this exercise, in this meal, we're declaring to ourselves, we're declaring to one another, and we're declaring to the Lord Jesus Christ that I believe in Jesus and what he's done for me. I believe in the cross. I believe in the shed blood. I believe in the empty tomb. And I believe in the resurrection of Christ. That's what this meal is all about. And so this morning as we observe it, this is an opportunity for us to remember and to believe God and to believe his word. To confess our belief in the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. As we prepare our hearts for this, meal this morning. The Bible tells us that it's something to be reserved for those who are in relationship with Christ. 
for those who are baptized members of his church and whose lives are worthy of partaking. And Paul would warn us very sternly in 1 Corinthians 11 to not take this meal haphazardly. And so if you're not in relationship with Christ, if, you're not, if you not follow the Lord in believer's baptism, if you're a believer who's holding on to sin, I would encourage you this morning, we as a church would encourage you this morning to simply allow the elements to pass by. Our goal is not to hurt your feelings, it's not to condemn you, but the Bible would call us to do this as a gracious way of reminding you of some things that need to be made right with the Lord. So our goal is the same as that of the Bible. We want you to experience the grace of God. And so by not observing it for whatever reason, reminds you that forgiveness is available. The grace is available to you. And so we want you to see that Jesus became sin for you so you could experience his forgiveness. This morning as we prepare hearts to partake of this meal, we're going to have a time of response. We talk a lot about believing God this morning This is an opportunity for us to to respond. Anytime we hear the preaching of God's word, we need to respond in faith, to respond in belief. And so I'm going to ask Nick and uh, whoever's coming with him on the worship team, and this is a time for us to respond to him, to to the Lord. The Bible calls us to believe, to believe his word. So this morning, if you're not in relationship with Jesus, this is an opportunity For you to say, Lord, I understand this morning, maybe for the first time, that I need to be in relationship with you. I I need to confess my sin. I need to ask for forgiveness. I need to experience salvation. The time of response, I would encourage you to come forward. We'll get you with one of our encouragers. As a father of Jesus, if if you've never been baptized and you need to get that in order, post-conversion in your life, I would encourage you to come forward and, and let's talk with one of our encouragers and get that scheduled. Maybe as a believer, you just need to stand there in the quietness of your seat and uh, your pew and just ask the Lord to forgive you for sin. Maybe you need to come forward and spend some time praying. But in this time of response, as we sing, let's allow the Spirit of God to bring up and lead us to whatever decision needs to be made. So that in a moment when we pass these elements out and remember all that Jesus has done for us, we can do so in a way that brings Him honor and glory. So Heavenly Father, thank you for the opportunity to believe you, to trust you. Lord Jesus, I, I thank you for the sacrifice that you've, been, that you've made on our behalf, the blood that was shed there on the cross. Lord, I thank you for story after story after story in the Bible of your faithfulness. God, how you always desire to do the impossible. Lord, this morning in our lives, many times we just don't believe you. Perhaps it's because we don't think it's a big enough issue to bring before you, so we try to do it ourselves. But, Lord, you've never asked us to do anything ourselves. You've always asked us to bring everything to you, cast all of our cares before you, the Bible says. Lord, maybe for whatever reason, we, we don't even trust you with the big stuff. So, Lord, this morning, help us to be a people who believe you, trust your word. Sometimes we don't even share our faith with others. Even though we've believed you for salvation for ourselves, we just, for whatever reason, we don't believe that you could save that person or you don't believe that you could use our testimony to lead someone to faith in Jesus. So God, maybe that's something that we need to confess before we this morning. Pray this time of response that you'd be glorified as your people. 
are obedient. So speak, speak to our hearts. Holy Spirit, draw us to faith in Jesus' name. Amen. Won't we stand?